Welcome back to a Clubfoot Mom podcast. I'm your host and fellow Clubfoot Mom, Maureen Hoff. On today's episode, I have the pleasure of speaking with Dr. Kenneth Noonan, Chief of Pediatric Orthopedics at the American Family Children's Hospital, Professor of Orthopedics at UWSMPH, and Editor-in-Chief Jay Posna, Journal of Pediatric Orthopedic Society of North America. I first came across Dr. Noonan during a presentation he was giving about the Ponsetti method and clubfoot treatment at IPOS in December of 2021. I'm so grateful that he has agreed to be a guest on the podcast, especially since our topic today is clubfoot relapse. Relapse is a topic I've not covered on the podcast yet, but is one that I get lots of questions and comments about from listeners. I've wanted to find the right avenue to discuss this topic as it is something that I do not have personal experience with, at least not yet. And I'm very grateful that Dr. Noonan has agreed to speak about it today. I've compiled a list of questions for Dr. Noonan that include both questions that I have generated and also a first, which was questions that came directly from the listeners. Welcome Dr. Noonan to the podcast. Thanks for being here. Yeah, happy to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah, so I appreciate you taking the time to talk to us and the listeners about uh, relapse today. But before we dive in, why don't we just start with you telling us about how you began treating clubfoot and how long you've been doing it? Well, so I'm fortunate that I trained at the University of Iowa. Um, I started my, I finished my residency in uh, 1994. Four maybe, and um, Dr. Ponsetti was actually, actually my neighbor. Um, wow. He lived about two blocks away from my house, and um, so I got to know him very well as an orthopedic resident at Iowa. And then I did a fellowship year in the lab there. And I told Dr. Ponsetti, I said, anytime that you have a patient that needed casting and you needed some help, I'll come down from the lab and help you. So for a year, I got to spend sitting at the, at the side of Dr. Ponsetti and, uh, you know, learn from the master himself for a full entire year in addition to my residency. Wow. And he was a, a wonderful man, a good friend of mine, a uh, friend of my family. He came to visit us once in Indiana, spent a weekend with us. I used to take care of his house when he would go to Menorca. Uh, I knew him very well. Yeah. He, he, I knew him very well. So yeah. that's why I learned about the Ponsetti method. And then when I went to my fellowship, um, that's when I started you know, practicing it. Um, and then, uh, then I started in 1997 in, uh, in my practice in Indiana was when I first started. And then I'm now I'm in Wisconsin. So I've been practicing clubfoot by the Ponsetti method probably since 1997. So however long that is. Wow. What a great experience. Yeah, Ponsetti was uh, a, a gentleman. He was such a gentleman, such a thoughtful person, um, and uh, and very funny and very fun. You know, he used to he used to joke in the uh, in the in the cast room. He'd say we were too sloppy with plaster, and he, come on, Doctor Ponsetti, it's not that it's hard to be clean with plaster. Mm-hmm. Story one story was that he came to. He came to a clinic the next day in a tuxedo and put casts on and didn't get plaster on any of his clothes. Mm. He, just he to just, prove that it could be done. Yeah, just a charming man. 
Yeah. Lots of, lots of stories, but, uh, that was a wonderful experience. And, uh, I feel pretty blessed, uh, from a per- training perspective because my fellowship year was spent with a man named Charles Price, Chad Price, mm-hmm. who is a master clubfoot surgeon. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had the opportunity to learn uh, about doing clubfoot casting from Dr. Ponsetti, mm-hmm. uh, but Dr. Price was really a masterful surgeon and learned how to do some of the more extensive clubfoot uh, procedures. Not that we do that a lot now anymore, mm-hmm. um, but it was important for me to have that skill set. And when I go to Honduras uh, and go on mission trips, I often have to use those surgical skills uh, that Dr. Price uh, taught me. And it also helped me to understand how to manage uh, recurrences or relapses, if you will. Mm. Yeah, that mixture of different experiences, I'm sure, just only helped. Yeah, it was wonderful. Yeah. So let's start with the with the relapse. What does clubfoot relapse actually mean? And then why do you think it occurs? So I think relapse, I, I don't I don't like the t- I don't like the terms relapse and recurrence. Mm. That implies that that implies that you've got something fully fully uh, corrected. Mm-hmm. It, it could possibly imply that that uh, perhaps um, the family is not wearing the Dennis Brown bar and shoes or the Mitchell sandals um, appropriately, or they're not doing the Dobbs bar. Mm-hmm. When you say recurrence relapse, it implies that the treating team got the foot perfect and then it's come back either because the kids got some, you know, predisposition or the family's not doing their job. I don't, I don't think that's, I don't think it's the right term. The way I like to think about this, I like to think about this as a club foot with residual deformity, mm. not recurrence, not relapse. When you, when you treat a club foot, you can take that foot of a four-week-old baby and you can cast it and do a tenotomy and make it look perfect on the outside. Mm. But on the inside, there's usually some residual equinus that you can't appreciate. That's a tight heel cord. Mm -hmm. Um, There's might be some break in the midfoot um, because we're overpowering the foot. Mm -hmm. We're not really getting correction. We're just merely molding it to make it look good. So I would submit that in those patients that have deformity after the Ponsetti method, they're not recurrences. They just weren't fully corrected to begin with. They had some residual deformity. I think, I think pure recurrence or relapse is very, is very rare, but uh, I prefer the term residual deformity. Okay. So how often do you think that happens? Because we hear about well, it in percentages as parents, right? Like 15% or 30%. So, but we get such a wide range of what you think, a re- how often it occurs. Yeah. Well, it all depends upon the de- the person making the definition. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, one person's relapse is another, or one person's residual deformity is another person's, this is pretty good looking foot. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah, there's, there's a little deformity that's left, but it's a pretty good looking foot. So what I might call a foot with relapse, another person may or may not and vice versa. So mm-hmm. fundamentally, you know, it's, it's hard for the lay person and the moms and the dads to get this, okay, 15% recurrence, mm-hmm. 15% relapse. That is, 
that is a subjective thing. They apply a number to it, but it really is very subjective. And it runs all, all grades. You can have someone with a little bit of tightness or a foot that needs to have extensive posterior medial release. But be that, be that as it may, that it is a subjective um, definition, one could look at perhaps what are we really worried about? What we're really wondering about is how often does a child need to have some small tune-up procedure? Mm -hmm. um, and I say like before going to kindergarten, you know, mm -hmm. and when you look at the literature and you look at other people's practices, you know, I tell my families that one in three kids are going to have to have something done prior to kindergarten, mm -hmm. whether that's a tendon transfer or repeat Achilles. Mm -hmm. um, that doesn't mean that there's been a failure. Mm -hmm. It's just that's part and parcel of the Ponsetti method and the clubfoot. Um, that some kids just need to have a little tune-up work done prior to going to kindergarten. And they're still going to have a great feat. You know, they're going to play and do sports and things like that. They just need a little extra. So how do you then determine what procedures need to happen in order to address? Like, what are the common things that a parent could hear that needs to be done if they hear that there is a residual deformity? Well, first of all, um, it's important for the parents to note that, that there are four components to clubfoot and some kids have just a little bit of residual deformity in some of those characteristics. Maybe their foot turns in a little bit Mm -hmm. Maybe they're walking on their toes or they don't get good heel strike when they walk. Mm -hmm. All of those things are not damaging the child's foot. So first of all, there's, I think it's important that there's no sense of urgency mm -hmm. that, oh my goodness, we got to do something because my kid's foot's, you know, really suffering from this. It's mm -hmm. not painful and mm -hmm. it's not really causing damage. Number one. So I think it's important to keep that in the back of your mind. And then I think about trajectory, really, you know, it's like sometimes, sometimes, you know, a kid will be a little bit tight in his heel cord around 11 or 12 months of age, and maybe they might need an Achilles lengthening down the road, but they're not walking yet. And maybe, okay, suddenly the kid starts walking and now they're putting weight on their foot all the time. And maybe that stretches out some, mm. but so as a kid's motor milestones are, are uh, impacting their function that can have some impact, you know, on their foot and how it's going. Mm -hmm. For me, I think about, you know, residual deformity. Um, and when I think about offering a surgical procedure to, you know, get the final bit of the foot corrected, you know, I'm, I'm looking at a kid who's three or four years of age and that I've been following that kid's foot with mom and dad and we see them every six months and we're starting to notice that the child doesn't walk flat footed or that their mm -hmm. foot's starting to turn in and up. Mm -hmm. And these are, they, these are common patterns of residual deformity. And then we see it and we know it's not getting better. Maybe mm -hmm. it's getting a little bit worse. And moms and dads and I, we sit down and kind of go, well, I think it's, you know, I, I think that you might need to have 
some fine tune-up surgery done here. What do you guys think? Go through the whole thing with them and then make that decision. Hmm. Now, not, and I, it's important. I want to back up a little bit. It's okay. important to remember that not all residual deformity ends up needing surgery. Okay. So maybe you'll have an eight or nine month old child whose foot's just a little tight, can't get it up, turning in, and then try casting for six to eight weeks. Mm-hmm. Sometimes, sometimes that'll get it stretched out so you can get back into the into the abduction orthosis. Mm-hmm. So all all recurrences, all residual deformities have a gradation mm-hmm. uh, of severity mm-hmm. and, and in location. And the range of things that you do can include physical therapy. I had a mom, I'll never forget this. There was a kid that I took care of who had club foot and the child lived next door to my nurse practitioner, believe it or not. Mm -hmm. And every night mom was putting on the abduction orthosis. The kid was screaming and she could hear it through the window. And so they came to see me and they said, you know, what are we going to do with this? You know, she can't wear the barn shoes. And so we basically sh- t- showed mom how to do stretching. Hmm. We, we told her how, showed her how to do heel cord stretching and forefoot um, abduction. Mm-hmm. And she took care of that kid's foot and stretched it every night and every day. Mm-hmm. And that was the way they managed the recurrence for hmm. this child. And I see her now a month ago and on her way to college, never had surgery, doing great. Wow. So you can do physical therapy. You can try different orthoses mm-hmm. uh, and then do casting. Mm-hmm. And then the surgical part, which I apologize jumping right into right away. That's mm-hmm. something that, you know, is for those feet that, that still have residual deformity when they're three or four and their trajectory is such that they're not getting better. Mm-hmm. So it's just dependent on what the case is and how the child's foot is presenting. Yeah, every every child's different, really. Yeah, and right. and it's and kids with bilateral feet, one mm-hmm. foot will mm-hmm. be doing great, the other foot might have a little residual deformity. And so even within the child, the yeah, the, the feet can be different. Right. I think that's something that's interesting the more that I talk to different professionals and parents is the generalization of clubfoot. Like parents will think, oh, this is exactly I'm going to go on the Ponsetti method. This is what's going to happen and my kid's foot is going to be corrected. When in reality, there's individuation because not every club foot is made the same. And so we have to treat our kids as individuals, even though we're using kind of a generalized method. Yeah, the generalized method works though. I mean, yeah, it, I mean, it works. It's, it's, it works and every foot will respond to some degree mm-hmm. and you will get some improvement. Some kids, mm-hmm. seven, and I tell families, I say like, here's the deal. So your, your kid's got club foot. Just want you to know that when you're five, this kid's five years old, he's going to be going to school in regular shoes, running and playing mm-hmm. about 70% of us, 70% of the time, we're going to hit a home run and we're going to do the Ponsetti approach and you're going to wear a bar and shoes. Mm-hmm. And then your kid's going to be fine forever. And a third are going to require, I'd say, tune-up surgery or mm-hmm. tune-up treatment. But your kid's still going to play ball and still go to school with a tennis shoe when they're five years old. Mm-hmm. And we'll get you there uh, one way or another. How early do you do surgical intervention? Well, it all de- that's a tough question because it depends upon the 
it, it depends upon the uh, severity of the foot. Okay. And, um, you know, historically speaking in 19, in the 1980s, um, people who weren't doing the Ponsetti method, they just, they put a few short leg casts on a kid. Mm-hmm. And then at a year of age, they did a posterior medial lateral release, which is a very extensive operation. Mm-hmm. And that's how they fixed the club foot. Mm-hmm. How many times are we doing that? one in a hundred maybe. And that's in a syndromic kid who might have a genetic disorder or arthrogryposis or spina bifida or something where you just, the Ponsetti method isn't going to get you there. Mm -hmm. Um, One in a hundred of those kids, how often are we doing some other kind of, you know, work to, to help the foot along? Um, Probably, uh, like I said, you know, 20 to 30%. Yeah. Some point. I think there's a lot, I see a lot of parents talk about how surgery shouldn't be done before four, like you should let your child's foot, like, like the tendon transfer in particular, I have a lot of parents ask about that. Like what, what age is it appropriate for that to be done? And that we know that it's something that should be done. Um, well, there is some, I mean, I think operating too early is not good, mm-hmm. but I also think there's also some, there's some time uh, for cartilage remodeling mm. that can, we can leverage if the surgery is done at a reasonable time. Uh, for instance, a few years ago, we did a, an MRI study of kids with, re, with residual deformity. And we found that the talus bone itself had a funny shape to it. Hmm. And we did our, we did our posterior releases and we really didn't get a lot of great motion back Hmm. right away on the table. Mm -hmm. But then after surgery, the kids got a brace at night to stretch. And these kids came back at three or four or five months later and they had great motion. Hmm. And I think it's because that bone was able to remodel because it was Hmm. a young cartilage bone able to remodel. And so one argument could could be said, if you took one extreme, you'd say, well, why don't you wait till 12? Mm-hmm. Well, that'd be an extreme whereby the bones would have formed and they would, they would not be able to remodel. I mean, you could release all the tissues that prevent the motion, but mm-hmm. the bones now, uh, you know, out of shape. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's no hard timeline on saying you should do it, you know, don't do it before four, do it after four. Okay. I mean, when the kids kids having problems and we feel like the trajectory is such where we're just not getting better, then I then I tell the family like, when's it convenient for you? I mean, how's it fit with your family? Mm-hmm. You know, do we really want to do this surgery in June and have your kid in a cast for 10, 10 weeks in the little summertime? Let's do it in September. Mm-hmm. You know, when it's cooler mm-hmm. out. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, you know, you got a baby due. Let's let's wait a couple months. You know, uh, but I would say three to four is a pretty good sweet spot for these types of operations. Okay. But every kid's different. Yeah. I think one of the main reasons that we, so we do daily stretches with, um, our cutie and it's simply like for us now become a gauge on her flexibility. So we like to have hands on her feet every day, just so that we have an idea of what, if anything's happening in the functionality of it, do you think that's helpful for parents to do? Because I see our role as kind of, we're the ones with her all the time. We're watching, we're observant, we're 
putting on the brace every day. And I kind of see our role as partly the first line of defense to kind of know what's happening. So then I can let our doctor know, hey, this is what we're seeing. So then we can game plan. Is that something that you recommend for parents? Well, I think, yeah, I mean, you're, you're, uh, you're cutie or you're mm-hmm. real, I'm not sure, but your child is lucky to have, you know, you advocating and, and helping with that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think, I think parent partners are really super important. So I think you're doing all the right things and everybody parents a little differently. Yeah. At their last IPOS meeting, you know, one of the parents there said, you know, what we do is we, we get those, I don't know if you've seen these, uh, those running uh, wedges, uh, runners that they, there's this triangle thing that you can stand and put your foot on and stretch your heel cord. Yeah. So this mom mm-hmm. has one in front of the sink mm-hmm. uh, in the bathroom. So every morning when the kid gets up and goes to bed, brushes their teeth, they stand there and put their feet on the wedge and just stretch their heel cord. And I think that's a brilliant idea. Yeah. We just started doing that recently because she's kind of old enough now and she's starting to resist having us do it for her becomes kind of a game, but this manual thing, I think a lot of parents just want to know, like, what are the signs that we're supposed to be watching for as parents? Like, what are we looking for walking kind of mobility wise that then we should talk to our doctor about? Well, let's, let's talk first about um, pain. Does your child have pain? I wouldn't expect it. I don't think I've seen a child with pain with residual deformity, but that for sure. Okay. Um, And what about function? What Mm -hmm. functional things? Well, if the, if the child's constantly on their toes and they're Mm -hmm. catching their toe and stumbling and falling, you know, that's a functional issue. Okay. Um, And then in the shape of the foot, if you're noticing that the child's walking on the, on the outside of the foot, Mm-hmm. Uh, the foot's kind of turning in uh, when they're when they're walking a bit. Those are signs that there's some residual deformity, um, mm-hmm. and that's something you'd want to bring up to your doctor. But hopefully, hopefully, um, you know, you're seeing your doctor every six or your provider every six to you know eight months or so, and they're looking at it. And you're looking at it, and. Uh, Together, you're determining whether or not the trajectory is static or, or worsening. Mm-hmm. But those are the common things you see. Walking on tiptoes, uh, not a good heel strike, foot flat, not, and then foot turning in. Those are things that you're going to be uh, um, looking for, really. Okay. So before we jump into our questions that I got from... Um, direct parents. What do you wish like all parents knew about relapse? If you could tell us one thing, what would it be? Well, the one thing I would tell you, I think it's, I think it's important. It's not relapse. It's residual deformity. Okay. Um, And and it just means that, that the foot did, couldn't get fully corrected for whatever reason, but you know, you, but it's just kind of come back a little bit. So I think I think it's residual deformity. Relapse implies that the parents aren't doing their job. Mm. Um, the other thing I would say is it's common. You know, one mm-hmm. in three kids uh, are going to have some residual deformity, but yet it's treatable and mm-hmm. um, it's treatable and your kid's going to have a great foot and not to panic, 
um, but to trust your provider and um, work with your provider to decide, you know, does it need to be treated? And also to have the ex ex understanding expectation. Club feet are not normal feet, right? Yeah. They're not normal. Yeah. Uh, they're going to be a little smaller. The mm -hmm. tibia is going to be a little shorter. Mm -hmm. The calf is a little skinnier, mm -hmm. you know, and what did Ponsetti want? What did he teach us? Mm -hmm. He taught us, you want a painless, mm -hmm. flexible, mm -hmm. plantigrade foot. Okay. If it's got a little hook to it, that's fine. You know, if it, if it doesn't have the full ankle range of motion, that's fine. Painless, okay. plantigrade and flexible flat foot. Okay. That's what he wanted. I think that's helpful for parents to hear. I do, I know I'm on, I mean, my daughter's almost four now and there is a feeling, and I think parents get this way that we've done everything we possibly can. We've done it all by the book, right? We've worn the brace for the prescribed amount of time. We've made sure that we didn't have any long periods out. We've been doing flexibility, all of that. And at the end of the day, if something happens and she needs further treatment, was it, was it worth it? Did I, first of all, it's not, it's nice to hear that it's not my fault if that happens, if she has residual deformity, but there is a part of me that goes, well, was it worth it to like put her through all the bracing? Was that, did that help? If oh, it, it was going to be, okay. A a absolutely. It helped because, okay. um, absolutely. It helped because you would have taken a foot that would have been much worse and you'd have to have much greater, uh, you would have had to have much more extensive operation uh, down the road. So okay, everything that you've done, everything you've done to date has made an enormous difference in that okay. foot. Um, okay. and, and without that, your child would have had a much more extensive operation and therefore more scarring and more stiffness. So every, everything that you've done has been uh, what that foot's needed. Okay. I think that parents, I think that's going to help parents to know that it's not their fault and that everything that they've done, even if there is residual deformity, that everything they've done was for a purpose. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. So here are a few questions that I got from um, some of the listeners. Okay. I'm going I'm okay. to wander into a different room for just a second. Okay. My wife just got home from the hospital. She's got to feed herself. Yeah, makes sense. <laughs> Musical chairs for sure. Yeah. All right, go ahead then. Okay. So somebody asked, do kids who don't have a tenotomy before they go into bracing have a higher rate of relapse than those who didn't? Um, or who again, do? Yeah. Yeah. So again, uh, Every kid's different, right? Mm -hmm. um, I, I know that at Texas Scottish Rite a few years ago, they did a comparative study looking at the French method of clubfoot correction, yeah. which was physical therapy mm -hmm. and some bracing. And then they compared them with patients that had the Ponsetti approach mm -hmm. with tenotomy. Mm -hmm. And the patients with the French method, many, many more of them had to have a heel cord lengthening later. Okay. Now, 
you know, nobody wants their child to have surgery, but a heel cord operation is a pretty minor one on a scale of one to 10, it's a 0.5, you know, it's not a big operation, not very, not very risky. So I think generally speaking, I think generally speaking, if, if a kid, if you have a hundred kids with club foot and you decided not to do tenotomies on them, just across the board, you're going to have higher rates of recurrence or residual Mm -hmm. deformity for sure. Mm -hmm. Um, I, in my practice, uh, 99.5% of patients get a tenotomy. Mm-hmm. And I've been at a podium with Dr. Ponsetti where he told providers, when in doubt, do the tenotomy. Yeah. So um, I, I think that's probably an accurate statement that, but that, that, that child who, that mom's or dad's child with the, who didn't get the tenotomy, maybe that was the 0.5 foot, you know, that didn't yeah. need it. So, yeah. okay. Another mom asked if my four month old experiences relapse, so does he need to do casting again? Yes. Yeah. So at what point is that because the foot wasn't fully corrected if they're four months or they didn't get into the position that doesn't really seem like a residual deformity to me. That would seem more like something didn't go as planned in the original casting slash tenotomy. Um, it's too bad your podcast doesn't allow you to have visual visual pictures. I know. Because I've that I get some, nice. I have some uh, uh, pictures of some slides to share, but no, I think it, it's definitely it's residual deformity. Um, okay. It's not recurrence. It's the bottom line is like you have a little baby's foot. Mm-hmm. three inches long mm-hmm. and you massage it and you push it up. I mean, and you can really, you can take that foot and you can put it in any position you want, but mm-hmm. the bones and the joints inside the foot may not be doing what you want them to do. You're just bending the, bending the cartilage. You're just bending the muscles. And then you look at that foot and you go like, Oh, it's corrected, but it's mm-hmm. not, there's still residual deformity okay. in, in the child foot. So a four, a four, more than likely a four month old has a pretty tight Achilles tendon, mm-hmm. pretty tight posteriorly, and uh, they're not fitting in the bar and shoes. And so the deformity is coming back. Now the deformity, yeah, yeah. Some of the deformity is recurrence mm-hmm. because you can't, you can't hold it. But the bottom mm-hmm. line is the child wasn't fully corrected more mm-hmm. than likely and the brace didn't fit. And so now parts of it are coming back. Now you can cast that stuff out, okay. but that four month old is going to need casting more than likely. Okay. Do some club feet have a higher tendency to relapse? And if so, which ones? Um, well, I mean, children with uh, syndromic or genetic disorders. Okay. Um, are more likely to have uh, residual deformity. Okay. What about idiopathic ones? Are there any indicators that you see when you first experience yep. the foot and you go, so maybe. So it's not, not for parents. Not, I don't want to say this to get parents concerned, but mm-hmm. you know, a baby comes to a family and a baby comes to a pediatrician with club foot and they end up in a pedi- pediatric orthopedist clinic 
and it looks just like a regular kid with a club foot. But a certain percentage of these kids later mm-hmm. can be found to have a genetic disorder or a syndrome or something that takes four or five years to figure out. Mm-hmm. So just because a kid looks like their idiopathic club foot doesn't necessarily mean they are. Mm-hmm. And again, another study from Texas Scottish Rite found that of the couple hundred patients, I don't know the exact numbers, but of a couple hundred patients that they saw with clubfoot, when they followed them long enough, maybe five to 8% of them ended up having a subtle disorder mm-hmm. that um, no one picked up on, which would then impact their clubfoot treatment and and so for years, people called them, you know, the kid was idiopathic, but no, in fact, they had a syndrome. When you're, when you examine a foot, one thing that we're noticing now is like people, kids that have, like when you scratch the bottom of their foot, if their toes don't come up, that can imply that they have a subtle uh, nerve, a nerve hmm. problem. Hmm. And that, that itself may be, you know, a cause of recurrence. That's really hard to pick up. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that's part of the spectrum of clubfoot. Remember, clubfoot is a result of, could be idiopathic, could be a result of genetic disorders, syndromes, neuromuscular things. You know, it's a, there's lots of reasons to cause clubfoot. And sometimes you don't pick up the diagnosis till later. Yeah. So. Okay. What about wearing the boots and bar inappropriately? So, for example, like, the heel's not all the way down. This is a big deal with parents when they first get into the bracing, right? It's making sure the foot is correctly in the brace. If the foot's not correctly in the brace, is that going to lead to residual deformity? I would, I would submit that, you know, well, first of all, sometimes if you have a real small baby, mm-hmm it's hard to get their foot in the shoe. Right. Right. And, right. and so no matter how hard you try, I mean, it's, it's like a tiny thing and to mm-hmm. get the shoe on to fit, it's hard. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's that part, but if you have a reasonably good sized foot and a reasonably, and, a, and you have a good uh, Mitchell sandal or, or shoe that you use for your abduction orthosis that fits the kid, is it, is it, what comes first? Is the fact that you have residual deformity mm-hmm. and the heel cord's tight that you can't get the foot in the shoe appropriately, mm-hmm. right? Right. And that's, I think that's the, the, the more likely problem is that the child has some residual equinus or they're still a little bit stiff and you can't get the foot in the shoe because it just won't fit. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, uh, um, I don't an appropriate analogy, but uh, if if the if the brace isn't fitting mm-hmm. appropriately, it's not because the brace is bad or the parents not doing it right. Okay, maybe the shoes got resi- maybe the foot's got residual deformity that just actually doesn't fit into it, right? Yeah, yeah. And that and that that sign of the heel cord pop or the heel popping out, you know that. The number one recurrent problem that you see is tight heel cord. That's the, that's the thing that we see more than anything. And so if the foot can't get into the orthosis and stay in the orthosis, um, 
then that's probably residual equinus deformity that needs to be addressed one way or another. Okay. Is there any age at which we can all as parents just be like, the chance of residual deformity coming is not is not a thing. Like it's less than 1%. Because at this point, we're we're looking at our kids who are going to keep growing until they're 18, right? Until they reach maturity. Any point on that spectrum where you're like, yo, we can let our guard down a little bit more. Yeah. I mean, if your kid's got a good corrected foot, if your kid's in the 70th percentile where it's got a plantar grade foot, no deformity, and age four or five, you can, you can probably put the worry the worry to rest. So okay. What if not though? We always that? hear that growth spurts are like the enemy of clubfoot, right? So that your kids eat, you know, get to the six-year-old growth spurt and all of a sudden their feet that didn't seem to have any residual deformity now are showing signs of it. Is there some age where you're like, most likely that would have shown up prior to this? Yeah, that to me that's uh, that's not, I've not seen that you okay. know, doing this for 25 years. I've not seen a, I've not seen a, a fully corrected club foot at age five, come back at six or seven with residual deformity because of growth. I don't see okay. That. Okay. What about using the, an articulating bar? Is that linked to any higher correction that needs to happen later on? Not that I'm aware of. Okay. And then the last question, how important do you think stretching is for parents to do while they're in the bracing phase between before the age of four or five? Yeah, I think stretching is really helpful. Um, I definitely think it's helpful. Mm -hmm. And um, and that the, the parent has to be taught, you know, how to do it appropriately. Yeah. And in, in my practice, I'll draw a picture of the foot and then mm -hmm. I'll show them how to put the pressure on the foot. And I write down on a piece of paper and I make them model it for me, show me how to do it. Um, but I think stretching is an important part of it. Um, and, um, and that's something that uh, I, I feel pretty strongly about that can help. Now I have some feet that are so beautifully corrected. You know, I mean, mom's, I mean, I'm a dad. I mean, we got a lot of other stuff going on. So mm -hmm. you got a foot that's really good, good looking foot, then I won't, you know, lean on them to do a lot of the stretching, but if I have someone that has some residual deformity, the heel cord's still pretty tight, then I try to teach them to do it. I do think that helps. I want to thank Dr. Noonan again for being a guest on the podcast today and for sharing all this information about clubfoot relapse or residual deformity. It was a privilege to talk to you and thank you for sharing your expertise with all of us. I'm so thankful for doctors like you that are dedicating so much time and energy to clubfoot treatment. As always, thanks for listening. And if you like this ep episode or found it helpful, please like, subscribe, and share with anyone that you think would be interested in it. If you need to get in contact with me, please do so at my website, marinehoff.com, or my Instagram at clubfootchroniclesmom. Until next time.